0: Alright, so we're in the chapter 5. And I'll be reading verse 7 through to 11. And I'll be reading the ESC version. James 5, verse 7 through to 11. As we read this together, just a to reminder that this is the word of God. Verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Be patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against the one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophet's stroke in the name of the Lord. Verse 11 Behold, We consider those who bless you remain steadfast. We have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and we have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Amen. Uh, It's good to see everyone again. Um, Thank you, everyone who survived through a long day yesterday and rocked up today, uh, because you love Jesus that much and you can't get enough of him. Um, I mentioned yesterday, but my ride is a bit blocked and I won't go into too much detail, but it's, it's hard for me to know how loud I am. Uh, cause I can't really hear. And so if I end up like shouting progressively getting louder, I'm going to media team. You just have to, okay, they don't even listening. <laughs> well, someone's got to, you know, make sure that I'm not, I'm not too loud. I actually had a funny moment with Al yesterday. Uh, if you know Al's guest speaker, he's a little bit older than me. I think his kids are like a little bit younger than me. And so you know, fairly old, nearly my dad's age. Um, and he's half deaf in one ear, and so he keep like he keep doing this, and that's what I was doing yesterday. I'm like constantly like trying to hear people. And he's like, you know, when you can't hear in one ear and there's background noise, uh, you can't hear anyone. Like it all kind of gets you know meshed into each 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 other's voices. And I was like, that's exactly what I've been telling everyone all day. I told your wife that five minutes ago. And I, like I felt comforted that I can relate to this um, old old man. <laughs> but you know it's good to know like. He got me. Anyway, uh, last week uh, we talked about uh, money, and I, I kind of encouraged us. If you want to, you can donate to Gifts of Compassion, which is this thing that uh, Compassion has organised. And you know, thanks to your generosity, uh, we've raised a bit over one thousand eight hundred dollars. Okay, that's exciting. That's exciting for definitely for the people there. And so, you know, a lot of a lot of cows, um, fresh water. Um, you know, seeds and chickens are heading to different places around the world thanks to your generosity. And so thank you. But again, uh, this is about building a habit and this is about us you know, growing into becoming more and more generous uh, with our life, our time, our energy, also our finances. Alrighty, let's jump into today's word. Today's uh, sermon um, is about the return of the king. Uh, not the epic Lord of the Rings movie that you may be thinking of. I don't know if that's what you thought. Um, but something greater and grander than even that movie. Right? The return of Jesus, the King. Right? The second coming of our Lord. He came once to this earth. Right? That's what we celebrate on Christmas. He lived, he died, that's Easter. And he rose from the dead, that's, that's Easter. Uh, but Jesus will return again the Bible says, and he will renew all things. And if you remember, that was actually our third and last talk yesterday. right? And as I was sitting there, I was like, whoo! What a gift from God, perfect timing. Right? I'm just going to write down all that he says and I'm just going to say it again. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Anyway, but you know, I think that's just perfect timing. So we're going to keep kind of digging into that idea that Jesus is going to return. Now, for some churches, this is all they talk about. Right. Jesus is going to return when is he going to return how is he going to return and you know I was talking about you know, some people put dates on it and they say you know, this is what's going to happen on this date and you know, that can be unhealthy when that's all we're talking about and on the flip side some churches never talk about it they never talk about Jesus' return um, as if all that matters is living your best life now right? and Christ's return or what comes after death well, it doesn't matter But that's unhealthy as well. We want a balance in how we think about the the return of Christ. But you know, there is definitely a tendency for us not to think about the return of Christ. And maybe more to think about the past. We look back to the cross, the resurrection, and we should, because that's so important, the birth of Christ. Or maybe look to our present, our present struggles or our present joys and what the Bible says about our present life now. Right? We tend to look back, we tend to look to the now, but the Bible talks a lot about the future, right? Christ's return. And even though it feels like something far away, something that you know, it, it doesn't matter to me, that's not what the Bible says. Right? If you know the parable of the ten virgins, Jesus says that we should always be ready and prepared. Right? Even though we don't know exactly when Jesus is going to return, we should live as if he might return at any moment. And so we're expectant, longing, and living in light of the return of Christ. Al said yesterday that the New Testament talks about hope in the future, hope in the future 55 times. All right, thinking about the return of Christ. Thinking about the day that he will return or the day that I will go to him. We need to be thinking about those things. And so today James is going to go there. And it's going to talk about two ways that the return of Christ should change us. And these are the two ways. Number one, it should comfort us. And number two, it should challenge us. It should comfort us in our greatest struggles. And it should challenge us to greater holiness. All right, so that's all I'm going to say today. Number one, comfort. Be comforted in your struggles. Verse 7. James says this, Be patient, therefore, brothers, Until the coming of the Lord. Now, notice that word in bold. Therefore, I've said this before. When you see that word, you say, "Why is therefore therefore? Right? Why is it there?" And so, the therefore means that everything James is going to say here is linking back to what came before. So, if you were here last week, let me refresh your memory. Last week, James was rebuking the non-believing rich outside of the church, and they were abusing their money. And James was kind of condemning them because one of the things they were doing was they were defrauding their workers, not paying what they were due. And in the process, these people were starving and some of them might have been dying. And James rebukes those people. And that's the context. And now James is going to kind of turn to the other side of the equation and talk to the people who are poor. A lot of them in the church. Not the rich outside the church. He's talked to them. Today he's talking to the people in the church who are, a lot of them, poor, struggling. And he's going to talk to them in the context of their struggle. These people are receiving unfair treatment from the wealthy non-believers. Some of them are living through poverty, general hardship, and even persecution. And I want us to just sit for a minute and just think about what a life like that might be like. To live a life where you you are struggling with poverty, and every day you're uncertain about, you know, how am I going to eat? How am I going to feed my family? And Will we have enough, you know, at the end of the week to you know, pay our rent or whatever that looks like? Because that's the situation that we're in. To be um, on the other, the wrong side of injustice, where the powerful and the wealthy are mistreating you and you can't really do much about it. Or because of your faith that you're being persecuted. Are These people, because they're saying they're Christians, They're poor, but by saying they're Christian, they're making their situation worse because now people don't want to even hire them. Or their friends won't help them because they've rejected them. And this is the life um, that many people were living and James is addressing them. And maybe for some of you, it's not too hard to imagine that kind of life because that's your life. You're, You're struggling with something right now and it might be poverty or maybe it's a daily struggle of a different sort. And to these people... This is what James says. What does he say? He says, be patient. This is the main encouragement at the start of um, these verses. Uh, James actually uses the word patient twice in this verse. He uses it again in verse 8, the next verse. And then he talks about patience in verse 10. And then by verse 11, he says steadfastness twice. So it's patient, 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 Patience, steadfastness, steadfastness. And so James's kind of idea is just, just keep waiting. Keep pushing forward. Don't give up. Be patient. Now I want to point out what James isn't saying here. Because we might think James would say something else to these people who are struggling daily and have this kind of cloud over their heads and uncertain about today or tomorrow. Because we might imagine James would say to them, Pray. <clears throat> Pray that God would change your situation because he will get you out of there. He will get you out of poverty. He will get you out of that struggle. That's not what he says. Even though they probably were praying and praying is good, that's not what he says. He doesn't say work hard, don't give up, God's going to open doors and everything will be changed. That problem will be fixed. That's not what he says. He doesn't say stay diligent even though diligence is good. Rather than talking about the situation changing, James kind of does the opposite. And he says, in this situation at least, I'm going to assume things won't change. And so, be patient. Wait. Wait for something else that will come. You see, some suffering has no solution on this side of heaven. Some suffering that you will go through has no solution on this side of heaven. It won't be solved, it won't be resolved, it won't be fixed until we either die and go to be with Jesus or Jesus returns and he changes everything in this world. Some things will change. God does answer prayer. right? If you keep working at it, some situations will change. But at the same time, some situations won't. That's the reality of the life that we live. Some illnesses will stay with us, some burdens won't be taken away, some relationship struggles you may struggle with for the rest of your life. You know, the Apostle Paul talked about a thorn that he had in his flesh, and he says in 2 Corinthians, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that he should leave me, right, get get this out of my life. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, God doesn't take away the thorn in Paul's flesh. And there's no solution for that on this side of heaven for Paul, except that by God's grace and power, he will hold on to God and he will get through it. Right? He'll be patient through it until he sees Christ again. And it's not that God is too weak. And it's not that God doesn't care. In fact, God is strong and he does care, which is why he's made a way for a solution and that's what we're waiting for. But we still live in a sin-stained world today, right? And this is what Al was talking about, the kingdom of God. It's, it's, it's here, but it's also future. It's here now, but it's not here uh, consummated, he said. It's not here fully. The world is still sin-stained. One day Christ will return to renew all things, right? That renewal, What did he say? He said the Palingenesia, right? The new Genesis. I just read see, I took notes, I'm just saying what he said. The new Genesis, that's what we're waiting for. But until that day, this brokenness will leave a footprint in our lives. The sin in this world will leave a footprint in your life, and sometimes it's temporary, it'll come and go, but sometimes it will be permanent, and you will have to carry that until you see Christ. So the idea that God never brings suffering to the Christian life is simply not true. You need the idea that a rich God will never leave his children in poverty. It right? sounds kind of oh, this kind of sounds kind of nice. It's simply not true. Or else James would have said something totally different. He tells these people who are struggling through injustice and poverty, right? This is unfair. They're being persecuted, and James says, "Be patient." And it's not that they're giving up. It's not that they're not praying, It's not that they're not being diligent. But we know that not all things will be made perfect in this life. So keep enduring on and wait for that day when Christ returns. And we need to accept that this is true. It's really important for you To have a place for suffering in your, your theology, we call it, right? Your understanding of God and what the Bible says. Suffering must have a place there, or else when suffering comes into your life, you'll be very confused. You need to understand that we will still go through suffering on this life. You know, our comfort is anchored on a past event that points us to a future hope. That's the Christian. Our comfort is anchored on a past event. That's the cross. The death and the resurrection. We anchor it on that, but that points us to a future hope when Christ will return. Because Christ died and rose from the dead, He defeated death, He's done away with sin. I know He will return one day. And on that day, everything will be made new and everything will be made right. And that's what I'm longing for and that's what I'm yearning for. And I believe that because I believe in the cross and the resurrection. I believe He'll return. That's the Christian's comfort. And that's how we endure through this life. And the future hope, James says we're waiting for, is the coming of the Lord. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. We're longingly waiting for the return of Christ, that second return of Jesus. He will come down in blazing glory and he will renew all things. He will save those who believed in him and we will spend eternity with him, with our perfect God, in a perfect place, with a perfect community, as perfected people. That is our hope. That is where we're looking. And on that day, all wrongs will be made right. And all injustices will be met with justice. And all of our problems will be fixed. That's what we're looking at. And we enjoy life here and the good things that God has given us now. But but our heart is longing for home. And it is there. Revelation chapter 21. It says this: Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Right? This is talking about what's going to happen when Jesus renews all things. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's our comfort. And if you're going through struggles or pain or there's difficulty, some of it will be resolved now, but our hearts are longing most of all for that day. Where there will be no tears or pain or mourning. And everything will be made right. That's the promise we have in Christ. And so be patient for the return of Christ. And let that future hope change your present struggle and how you go through the present struggle. As we're patient for that, it changes how we go through this. James says, as we're patient, we should be patient like a farmer. In verse 7, he says, See how the farmer, he waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. You know the image of a farmer is a perfect image of patience. Um, they plant the seed. Uh, they do farmer stuff. I don't know. Put manure on it. My my father-in-law he loves to grow stuff. But at a certain point, they got to wait. Especially back then, they had to wait for what they called the early and the late rains They were really important, you know, pockets of rain that would help the fruit to grow. And nothing they can do can hurry that. Nothing they can do can make that come quicker or to fix it. They have to just, just wait. And ultimately, that's trusting God, that God would send the rain so that the crops will grow, that I'll be fed, and that I'll be able to make money. Now, an impatient farmer who doesn't trust God it's going to be stressing and wringing their hands. And they'll wake up every morning and look at the sky and think, well, nothing's changing. Every day will be a day of anxiety and a day of stress. But the good farmer trusts. And because they trust, there's two things. Number one, they will know that this wait is momentary. Right, The good farmer knows that the wait is momentary. They'll know, I know right now it feels like it's hopeless. I know right now it feels like there's no rain, but... It's just a short wait. Because not too long from now, the rain will come. I know it. I trust it. And so this is just a short, temporary kind of time that will pass by. And this is just a part of the process. This is just a part of the process of of seeing my fruit grow. And that just changes their attitude when you know that this is a part of the process. Not only is it momentary, it's meaningful. Right, the good farmer knows his weight is meaningful. He's not just waiting through gritted teeth. Ah, oh, it sucks. I hate it. He knows a better day will come. Because he knows that the rain will come. He knows that this barren land will one day burst out with plants and fruit. He knows it will all be worth it in the end. And so it's not a sulking endurance. As he waits, it's a joyful expectation for what is going to come. This wait is momentary, and this wait is meaningful. That's the good farmer. Both farmers have to wait, but the impatient farmer waits and stresses and is anxious and is, you, know, sad. But the farmer that trusts has hope and comfort and joy. He has the eyes of faith fixed far enough into the future that he will find his hope there. Now, the Apostle Paul says this about the Christian life. He says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, this is a light momentary affliction and it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He says, number one, it's momentary. Every struggle we're going through, it's a momentary affliction. And I know it feels like it's been going on for long, and I know it feels like you can't get through it, and maybe you want to give up, but it is momentary. It will pass, because Christ will return, or we will go with and be with Him soon. It will pass. Not only is it momentary, it is meaningful. He says it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory, beyond all comparison. You know, Paul has the audacity to say that our afflictions are light. He says they're light momentary. And he says they're light because compared to what is coming, the glory, the weight, do you see the play on words? The weight of glory, this is light. And you're struggling, yes, and it feels hard and it feels like you you can't bear it but let me tell you what is waiting for you, it won't compare. It's going to be so great. When you see your Saviour and you're with Him, it's going to be all worth it. And as you spend eternity, Right in, this, in the community of God, with a perfect God, in that perfect place, it's going to be worth it. One day we will die or Jesus will return and our greatest sufferings will be erased and our, jo- our joy will be fully complete. And that is what we're waiting for. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now I know some of us are struggling with life's difficulties today. And when we focus on our struggles, it's overwhelming and it feels like it's too much and it can feel hopeless. And James is inviting you to be patient as you look to a future day. Your pain is momentary and your pain is meaningful. And you will be comforted today to the degree that you can trust God for tomorrow. You'll be comforted today to the degree that you can trust that that day will come. And if you believe, really believe that day will come, it will bring you not complete peace maybe, not not complete joy, but it will do wonders for your heart. To know that this will pass and to know that it will all be worth it. So keep your eyes fixed on that day when Christ will return. Unfortunately, some suffering has no solution on this side of heaven. And maybe what you need to be praying is not get me out. But if this is a situ- situation you're, you're going to be stuck with, you're going to start praying, get me through. And rather than asking God for an exit, ask God for endurance. Keep me going, God, because I know it's, it's going to end one day. And if you're struggling with something, I'm glad you're here. You know, I hope that you might be encouraged today, comforted by good community. By the words of James, which is the word of God. And I hope you might be comforted by the cross and the future return of Christ. The return of Christ, number one, should comfort us. But number two, James says, it should challenge us. Verse 9. James says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now James is gonna like pivot. He's gonna like oh, gonna comfort you, and now he's gonna he's gonna challenge us. Okay. Now you might not you might have noticed if you read through this passage by yourself, uh, you might have noticed this, but because we're going through it slowly, it's hard. James does something interesting. Now in verse seven, the return of Christ is like sometime, it's like sometime in the future until the coming of the Lord, like very vague. The next verse, verse 8, it's the coming of the Lord is at hand. Right? He's like, oh, it's going to happen soon, guys. It's going to happen soon. By verse 9, our, our verse right now, he says, Behold, the judge is standing at the door. But Do you kind of see the progression? And what James is doing, he's using this kind of technique to emphasize two things. Number one, the urgency. Jesus is going to return, guys. And I know it feels like he's far away, but oh, the time is at hand. And then, oh, he's right at the door and he's just about to knock on the door and and ask how you've lived your life but that's what he's saying so on one hand is urgency don't expect it's it's just far away live prepared as if Christ may return but the second thing he does is this Jesus now is the judge Right, in the He's far away, and that's comforting, da-da-da. Now he's getting closer, he's getting closer. But as he gets right to the door, James says, by the way, Jesus is the judge. And make sure that you may not be judged. And so before it was comforting, but now he's like, by the way, you and I, even as Christians, because he says brothers, will stand before Christ on that day of judgment. Right? So let the fact that Christ is going to return... Change the way that you live your life today. Change it in the way that you're confident, but also change it in the way that you are challenged. Now, I took Reuben to his first ever movie recently. Really exciting stuff. He's, he's never like sat through a whole movie before he gets distracted because, you know, that's Reuben. So I wasn't sure he'd last, uh, but it was, it was fun. We took him, I took him and his friend. We went to watch a Sonic 2 movie i actually fell asleep i <laughs> drank parts of it um you know got a large popcorn you know we gave him booster seats i didn't know that those things were there but i, I saw a parent get this thing i was like oh, what's that they've got these cushions that they sit on and we watched the movie anyway if you're going to watch sonic 2 as an adult you know block your ears spoiler alert block your ears but in sonic 2 by by the second movie sonic is now living with uh, james marsden Right, he's, he's this main character he's kind of semi-adopted into that family um, so he's living in their home and then James Marsden and his um, girlfriend, wife oh, I don't know, <laughs> I didn't watch properly they, they're going to go to Hawaii and so Sonny's got the house to himself and he goes, he goes crazy but he's like—he's ah, partying, disco lights uh, he's chips eating all over the floor he goes through like a tractor over the chips and so now makes a mess, there's bubbles everywhere like, it, it, it's really bad and then suddenly he gets a FaceTime call from James Marston, And he's like, <gasps> and he's shocked, as he should be, right? Because he's like thinking, obviously, this is a mess. Right? All of this stuff that I've done, I'm going to now have to give an account for. But, you know, being Sonic, super speed, he just cleans everything up. And then he picks up the FaceTime call, right? And that, that's, that, that's the same. But th- that's kind of similar to how we should live in light of the return of Christ. The fact that Jesus will return and that he's, like, he's right there at the door and each of us will stand before Him on the day of judgment should make us pause for a second and reflect on our lives and consider, is this a life that is well lived? Right? Can I be proud of the way that I've conducted myself? The way that I've spoken? The way that I've handled money? The way that I've, I've been a worker? The way that I've been in my relationships? Right? So in this way, The return of Christ is meant to challenge us to live holy lives. Now, as a believer, I want to make clear, on that day of judgment, if you are a believer in Christ, we are not uncertain of the outcome of that day. We are sure that when we stand before God, we're going to go to heaven. Right? Christ's blood covers over our sin. We're going to go to heaven. But there is a degree degree to which our life will be kind of exposed or revealed for how well we lived it. And I don't know exactly the dynamics of that, and people kind of disagree here and there, um, but it will be shown. The good works that we've done will be rewarded for, and the bad works that we've done will be burnt away. And so at least we'll see if we've lived our life well. I said last week, um, James, as he talks to the rich people, he says your treasures will be evidence against you. doesn't matter what you say about how you live, but if your, your, your bank account or your life is amassing treasure, well, that's going to say something to you when you stand before God. And you can say, I live for eternity, I live for you, God, but right? I invested into heaven, but if all you did was gather money and gather possessions, well, then your wallet speaks louder than your words. In a similar way, James is saying our life will stand before God. Now, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. You might know this passage. He talks about this foundation that we have, and we're going to build upon it. The foundation is, is Christ, it's our salvation, and that won't change. But he says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. So that fire as we pass through it, the, the hay and the, the, the wastedness or the disobedience or the sin it will burn away. But the good works, the gold and the precious stones and the silver that will pass through the fire. And for that we will be rewarded, you see. He says, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so if you're a Christian, you're going to be saved. But we will pass through that. And our good works will be rewarded for. I mean, everyone is going to be joyful. Right? The thief on the cross who died in the last minute, who maybe did like one thing right, perhaps. Perhaps. He's going to be joyful when he enters into paradise. He's got a lot of wood and hay that's just going to burn through. And maybe he's got like one precious stone. But he's going to be rewarded more than he had deserved. And he's going to be full of joy. But still, we'll still endure that judgment. Right? It won't be like sad or anything. Anyway, this is a balance. But 2 Peter says this. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in the lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening and hastening the coming of the day of God? Peter is basically saying what James is saying. We're waiting for that day. And because we're waiting, it's going to all be exposed. We might as well live holy and godly lives in light of the judgment to come and that's our lives if we were to be able to remember that Jesus is going to return and one day very soon i want to stand before him or in reality God is with me right now and the spirit's in me as well I think the way that we live would kind of think about it a bit like oh should I, should I really do that should I really say that should I really live this way I think often we sin because we feel like we'll never be kept accountable to it. Or we disobey because we feel like no one's watching. But the reality is, God knows and God sees all. And one day we'll stand before Him. One specific example uh, that James gives is in verse 9. He says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Now, James talked about the importance of taming the tongue in chapter three. It's very important. And so now he's kind of coming back to it and saying, not only is a tongue important and your words what you say, but when you think that you're going to stand before Jesus, it will help you to watch your words. Right? Because Jesus is returning. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Right? Don't fill your mouth with, with those kinds of things. Right? Fill them in the love and bless others. Now, I don't know about you. Um, there's certain sermons for me where I'm like, oh, that's convicting to me, <laughs> you know, as I prepare. And, and it should be, you know, hopefully God speaks to me. The, the, the taming the tongue one, um, leading up to that sermon, I was very, like, trying to be conscious about how I speak to, you know, especially my wife. Um, but especially after I, I talked about it, I was really trying to watch what I say. And I found, and, and she may disagree, but I found that as I watched what I say, just that simple thing, I felt like it changed the dynamics of our relationship for that week completely. Uh, just trying to make sure I'm, I don't say those kind of passive-aggressive comments. You know, when she asked me to do something, I'm like, Ugh. you know, like just just, just like small things. Just, just I, I swallow it and suddenly my attitude, my demeanor, my joy in in doing things for her um, changed and my, my heart was like so open. I was like, wow, the Bible is right. <laughs> he knew. But it's really true. And, and And this is a really important topic. And James is saying, when we remember Jesus is going to return, it will help us even more to tame our tongues. And I was hanging out with uh, some of the dads a few weeks ago, um, and they met first, and I kind of joined the conversation later, and they were all in a circle, and I kind of rocked up, and I joined the circle, and they, they, were t- they did this like, oh, 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 okay, uh, we, we can't talk about that now. Uh, Paul's here. As a joke, I think. But that's kind of what it is, right? Like when, when certain people come, like, Ooh, like and you've got to be careful and you've got to watch what you, what you say. Like I remember when I was at church and the pastor would be in the room, I'd be like straight back and I'd watch what I say. Or you know, when, when I'm with Unity's parents, like I, I'm more careful about how I act. I'm like, I'm so loving to, to Unity because her parents are there. But when we think about Christ being there, right there at the door, about to knock, I think it'll do the same thing for us. We'll be much more careful and we'll reflect and we'll consider how we are living. And maybe for you it's not your words. Maybe the shift in perspective when you think about eternity or Christ's return will make you rethink how you steward your money and how you save lives, as we talked, as we talked about last week. Or maybe that extra accountability, by right, knowing that you know, you'll stand before God one day, makes you rethink your purity, Right, and how you are going to fight against daily temptations. Or maybe the fact that you know, Jesus will one day return will change the urgency that you feel about telling people about Jesus. Because Jesus is going to come, and we don't know when it is. And I know people who don't yet know Christ. In all these ways, the return of Christ is meant to transform us. Or maybe for you today, when you think about Jesus returning, you know that you don't believe in him. You know that you've never put your faith in him. You know that you've never surrendered your life to him. You know that you've never given him your sins, that he would uh, cleanse you of your sins and take them away. And for you, when you think about that day, the challenge for you is to believe, is to repent and to give your life to him so that when you think of Christ's return, it will fill you with joy. So let me close and let me ask you this. If Jesus were to return to this earth, And knock on your door tonight. How would that make you feel? If Jesus were to knock on your door and say, Alright. Would it fill you with delight? Or would it fill you with dread? Will you feel that you were prepared for that moment? Or will it catch you completely off guard? The Bible says we are to live always prepared. We don't know exactly when he's going to return, but we should live as if he might return at any moment. And that includes the comfort that we're going to gain from that, but also the challenge to our lives. You know, I've got this ear thing I said, oh, I, I woke up on Monday, it was a public holiday, right, Monday, with this ear, I'm like, oh, it hurts, hurts, and it's getting worse, worse, and like... I, just, I tried to fix it I made it worse and, and all the GPs were closed and so I'm, um, I'm like annoying uh, Paul because this is a GP I'm like oh, can you help me save my life um, and I was just waiting I, th- th- no GPs were open because it's a public holiday I'm scrambling and I booked a, a doctor for the next day I'm like yes and just knowing right, that I'm going to go to that doctor um, and hopefully get things fixed was such comfort to me Right, that day is coming, I'm sleeping at night trying to sleep, it's hurting, it's, it's ringing, it's, I can feel my heartbeat in my ear, Like it's in pain, my jaw hurts, I can't clench my teeth, I'm going to the doctor's tomorrow. Right, that's comfort. At the same time, for some of us, when you think you're going to go to the doctor's tomorrow, or you're going to the dentist, it's a challenge. Because you're like, oh, I better, better eat properly now. Right, when, I, when I'm going to go to the dentist, I'm like, oh, I should floss my teeth. <laughs> Stop flossing my teeth, I should be really careful with brushing my teeth. It challenges you because you know that you're going to be kept accountable. Friends, Christ is going to return and our faith is anchored on that past cross but we have a future hope. Our eyes are fixed on that future day and so let that both comfort you and let that challenge you today. I don't know what that looks like. It might look different for each and every one of us but our present life is meant to be shaped by the return of Christ and it should either comfort you in your struggles or it should challenge you to greater holiness. And my hope is that when Christ returns, if Christ were to return in our lifetime, that every one of us would be ready, and that we would be filled with delight, and that we had lived our lives as if He were going to return. And so when He knocks on that door, when He descends in blazing glory, we won't be like, whoa, what's going on? We'd be like, yes, hallelujah, praise God, I'd be waiting for this moment. And as much as I could have done, I'd lived a life that honoured and pleased me. But that's my desire for us at Kingsway. That's what the Bible longs for us to do. Right, so let's close our eyes and let's pray. I just want us to, as we close our eyes, to just think about Jesus returning to this earth. And he will return and eventually we'll all stand before him in judgment. And our faith in the cross will determine where we will go. But the life that we lived will determine the rewards that we'll get. And... Will you be proud of the way that you lived? And would you be proud of the fact that you believed in him or you didn't believe in him? I just want us to think about the return of Christ and maybe be comforted if you're in a place of struggle. Or maybe be challenged. And especially if you don't believe in Jesus. Friend, tomorrow is not promised. Christ can return at any moment. We should always be ready. Don't wait for another day to give your life to Jesus. I invite you to give your sins and your mistakes and your pain and even your joys to Jesus. The promise of God is that because Jesus went to the cross, He's died in your place, He's paid the price for your sins, and that if you just believe freely, just like that, He will forgive you of your sins. You'll be cleansed and you'll be a child of God. And that eternity will be secure. And just like that, if Christ were, return, were to return a second after that, there was, there's nothing for you to worry about because you will go to heaven. But that is not in question. And so if you're not a believer here today, I invite you to believe and to give your life to Jesus and decide to follow him. But for each and every one of us, let's think about the return of Christ today. Let's pray.